Hi there. Welcome to the Sober Town Podcast. Let's jump on that train and ride. Ride into the wonderful, beautiful, sometimes just all out, unpredictable world of sobriety. I'm your guest host, Elaine Schuyler Neal. If you've never heard of me on this podcast before, I'm a content creator and photographer, and I built the website for our Sobertown podcast founder, Drifter. Drifter has become a dear friend to me of sorts and a tremendous resource for not only myself, but thousands of others navigating the kind of sometimes very murky waters of recovery. I'm eight months sober myself, and I love engaging in the recovery community and just being an all-around general support for anyone who needs it. So today I'm super excited to talk to a person who belongs to the same sober community that I'm a part of. His name is John and he's been alcohol-free for over two years. Two years is absolutely phenomenal, John. I'm gonna try my best to be like a sponge in this interview, just absorbing all your <laughs> knowledge and insights on how you got to this really impressive milestone. So um, I know you said that you started this journey broken and afraid. And I was hoping that we could kind of start where this journey started for you and what that kind of looked like at the end of your drinking experience. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess um, for me, it just right at just a little over two years ago, probably two and a half years ago, things started really going south with my drinking um, in December of um, 2018. I was actually hospitalized. I, had, um, I couldn't catch my breath. I had no energy and I actually went in the hospital and received four units of blood. And um, I didn't really mention that a whole lot on the app, but that's, that's where it kind of really started going down, sit downhill for me. Uh, received four units of blood, had a doctor tell me and ask me about my drinking and my drinking habits. And like anytime anyone asked me about my drinking, I lied and was offended and extremely pissed off to say the least about but that the doctor would even ask me those questions. And uh, fast forward about six months into 2019, um, it had gotten to where I was drinking every day, every night. Uh, I would stop on the way home to usually get my wife and I a bottle of wine, two bottles of wine, a box of wine, vodka on the weekends uh, when I would really binge. And typically when I would stop, I would get two or three already ready-made cocktails that were already in the liquor store. And I would pound those before I got home just because I knew that just drinking the wine that I had bought for my wife and myself was not going to be enough. So I, I kind of had to get a, a head start on her. And um, I guess uh, two years ago, June 4th, uh, on June 3rd of that year, it was a Monday. And uh, I remember I remember the, minute, the events of that morning distinctly. I remember waking up that morning feeling like crap. That Sunday, I'd done the same promise I'd done to myself every Sunday, every week for the last two years, where, all right, I'm not going to drink too much today. I want to start the week off right. I want to start the week off ready to go. I had a, I had a semi-executive level job within a financial institution, and uh, you know, I, I thought it was important that I start the week off right. But uh, woke up Monday morning feeling like hell. Um, I looked at a bedside table. There was about a half glass of wine that was left over from the night before. 
I picked it up to bring it in the kitchen while walking to the kitchen. I drank it. Just didn't, not even thinking about it. Just drank it. Picked up another glass that was left in the living room, one in the kitchen, drank those, put the glasses in the sink and went on about my day. Um, felt like hell the entire morning. Uh, didn't feel totally abnormal. Just felt like I always felt. Um, I yeah, kind of like you're maintaining at that point, right? I used to always look at that. Yes. People don't understand if they never get to that stage of maintenance drinking um, where you just need to drink to feel okay. Feel normal. And, yeah, to feel normal. And uh, that that's where I was at. I felt perfectly normal. I was actually dealing with a pretty serious incident at the uh, bank that I worked for. And uh, worked on that until I left for lunch. And I came home for lunch like I often do. And uh, God, I don't, it's, it's kind of gross to say, but I, I remember eating spaghetti, spaghetti and meat sauce. And just like so many times, my stomach just really didn't work well with food. Um, I, I'm probably about 40 pounds heavier now because I, my weight had started kind of going down and I was kind of wasting away because I, I, I couldn't hardly yeah, eat. Yeah, you just weren't eating, right? Because the alcohol eat. deadens your appetite completely. My appetite was shot. So I, I tried eating, and uh, within 15 minutes, I was sick. And uh, got sick, had to change clothes, everything. And I knew I was not going to make it through the rest of the day at work without doing something to settle and calm my stomach. And like so many of us know, I, I knew there was only one thing that was going to do it. So um, because I'm not an alcoholic at that point, I knew I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't going to go to the store and get a bottle of vodka or anything like that. So I went to the grocery store instead here. We don't have liquor in the grocery stores. And um, I remember looking at the shelves at the single units that were for sale in the, gro in the grocery store and looking at each can to find the one that had the highest alcohol content. And God forbid it was a Red's Apple Ale, 24 ounce Red's Apple Ale. So didn't get a 12 ounce, didn't get an 18, went for the full 24, 8% alcohol and uh, started drinking that on the way to work. And it worked. I, I was feeling better. I drank about half of it. Um, <laughs> I remember not wanting anybody to find it and remember <laughs> thinking, I'm going to want to finish this when I get off work. So I put it in the center console of my truck. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember even thinking going up to it before I even went to the grocery store to buy it. I remember thinking this is going to be the day that human resources shows up in your office and wants to do some kind of test. You and really thought that? I, That's really, you were, oh, okay. So, so it wasn't just on this day, but it no, 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 no. this day in particular. This okay. day in particular, it weighed very heavy on my mind as I'm drinking even, thinking HR is going to show up within my 10 My luck's going to run out on this. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know, you know, I, it was weird. You know, call that maybe the first God moment or first higher power moment that I had in this whole experience. But I knew something was about to happen. And uh, yeah. sure enough, I went back into my office, carried on as if everything was perfectly okay. And in less than 15 minutes, our head of HR showed up in my office and uh, she closed the door and I had a cup of a styrofoam cup of water. And this is, this is another one of those moments that I, I don't know 
the cup had been there since the Friday before. Remember, this was a Monday. And I'd been drinking water out of the cup. Well, she picked the cup up and literally said it smelled like vodka. Mm. And I said, there, there's no vodka in that cup. And she goes, well, I know you've been drinking. And I said, no, I have not been drinking. And then oh. I said, well, I did have a beer at lunch because I knew where this was going. I wanted to try and cover any possible, if they did a blood alcohol or anything like that. I wanted to try and have some excuse for why there might be anything in my system at all. But uh, she was adamant that there was vodka in the cup. I, I, to this day, I don't know what was in the cup. If it had vodka, then I blacked out longer than, you know, and don't mm -hmm. really seriously don't know how the vodka got in the cup. Yeah, and because I, I, had you ever brought vodka? To, no, never. Yeah. I yeah, didn't that seems have weird vodka then. in my house on that day because it was a Monday. So mm -hmm. all vodka was gone over the weekend. So there was, yeah. there was no vodka in my house. And mm -hmm. I, I did have a lot of juice in my house, which didn't make sense either because I would never have mixed vodka with water if I yeah. was in a I'd, I'd mix with Anyhow, I, I still to this day say it was or it wasn't. I don't care. It it. It was the beginning. The outcome was the same, right? Yeah. So, it, like, so what it, happened then? So they took me to a, a local, uh, just an in-and-out clinic here, um, right across the street from the headquarters of where our HR office was, and I did a breathalyzer and swore up and down all the way to the doctor's office. I was fine. Felt fine. Like I said earlier, felt totally normal. Didn't feel any different than any other time. And I blew the first time and the girl comes back and she goes, we're going to give you another test in 15 minutes. So I'm like, well, what does that mean? She goes, well, you know, we just want to make sure the results are correct and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, it must have not registered anything. So if they want to get something. So I blew mm -hmm. again in 15 minutes and uh, I said, well, what do you get? And she said, well, it's, it's 0.154. Mm -hmm. which the legal limit in Mississippi is 0 0.08. Mm -hmm. So I was more than twice the legal limit to even operate a motor vehicle at that point. So um, we went across the street back to the bank's offices. They called my wife to come get me. Um, things started getting kind of fuzzy at that point. Um, talking about what to do with me not real, not telling me I didn't have a job just yet. Just saying that we're going to have to think about it, talk about it. Uh, telling my wife I needed to get help and that whatever I, for whatever my wife decided at that point that, yeah, I did need help. And she took me from the bank's office straight to the emergency room, which the local mental health or hospital that has a mental health facility uh, said to admit to get admitted immediately into their mental health program you'd have to I'd have to go through the emergency room so I went to the emergency room and uh, she dropped me off they took me in a room I, I'm at this point pretty much hysterical and uh, they bring me into a padded from what I can remember it was like a padded room just a small room with no windows and it was like an examination room and they left me there and they would check in every 15 to 30 minutes. And I've now completely lost it. I keep asking for my wife. Um, they tell me she's no longer there. Um, I know now they sent her home. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't need her 
me pleading on her to help me. They needed her out of basically out of the picture. Um, at that point, I'm full blown suicidal. Uh, wow. I'd never tried to kill myself. I don't know that I ever would have tried to kill myself, but I was, I was at the point in my drinking where if drinking was going to kill me, that was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so much wanting to die, but just pretty much, I had no will to live. And Mm -hmm. I figured the world, my family and the people around me would be better off if I weren't in the picture anymore anyhow. So I didn't care. And um, at this point now, thinking I've lost my wife, thinking I've lost my family, my job, everything that I'd worked hard to, to get to, I, I was totally out of it. So they, they kept me there till I guess about midnight or so. They uh, brought me out, put me in a van and drove me across the street to uh, the mental health facility where they run an alcohol and drug and alcohol program. Yikes, though. Midnight in a van? That sounds like something out of a creepy movie. Yeah, (laughs) I really had no idea where I was going. They checked me into a room. Basically, I had to take everything, all my clothes, everything, turn them over. Oh, my God. (laughs) For our our listeners, there's a little cat bomb going on here. Super cute. Um, Oh, no, super cute kitty. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... Uh, they take everything from me and uh, give me what I like to still to this day. I refer to it as my paper pajamas that I would wear for the next day or two. Wow. And uh, I literally go to the room they put me in, ball up in a fetal position and go through hell on earth. Um, it's a totally clean room, sterile, uh, steel mirrors or steel reflective uh, mirrors on the wall, no glass, nothing, no shoelaces, nothing that I could possibly use to hurt myself. And if I wanted to sleep or could sleep, I wasn't going to, because about every 15 to 20 minutes, they were sticking their head in to check on me. Mm-hmm. So, um, At that point, could you kind of see, see that like, okay, clearly they're not leaving anything in here that I can harm myself with, or were you really feeling like I want to harm myself. You know, I, 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 again, I, I don't, I was too afraid and too much of a coward to actually do anything. And yeah. I don't know if it dawned on me until the next day or maybe not even the next day that the room was set up so that I wouldn't hurt myself. And, and I, and I, I do, I think it, it happened probably that following Tuesday uh, and, and, and keep in mind, I was probably still, intoxicated most of this time that I was there but I remember waking up Tuesday morning and going to the counselor's office I I didn't eat breakfast I couldn't eat and going to the counselor we called my wife she's hysterical by then she had talked to my employer and found out that I no longer had a job Um, they did agree to a six-month severance package to provide me um, so I guess so I could hopefully get back on my feet again or something but um you know and and I guess it was it wasn't until the next day that I really started kind of interacting with other people that were in the treatment facility and uh started going to uh, I'll never forget the first class and it was the counselor that I've been meeting one-on-one with that Tuesday Tuesday that did this class 
And uh, he was explaining addiction and alcoholism and how it's just all of the things that so many of us know that it's while we have a need and a physical and emotional need to drink, it's the, all of the other things that um, the characteristics that are typical with people that have addiction and alcohol problems. And I'll never forget when I was sitting in that seminar, I think that was on Wednesday, he listed about 15 character defects that are common within alcoholics and addicts. And it was just your typical control, ego, um, just all the stereotypes that you can think of, having to be in control, uh, having to be the center of attention. uh, I, I can't even name them all, but it was like 15. And as he was writing them, I was like, yeah, I've got that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a smart ass. Yeah. I know it all. Yeah. I've got a huge ego. Yeah. Everybody's out to get me. And it just, as I was going down that list and and then he stops and he goes, some of you might have just one of these on this list. Some of you might have two. He goes, hell, some of you might be unfortunate enough to have all of these. And I was like, you're like, Oh no, (laughs) I'm that guy. So, uh, and so it really clicked that moment things started to really click for you. It's, I started understanding, uh, yeah, that it, it wasn't just an addiction to alcohol, that I had things within my personality and my way of thinking that kind of created a, a need for me to drink. Or it, it, alcohol had truly become my coping mechanism. And, you know, I didn't fully grasp all of that at that time. Um, God, it's taken two years and I'm still learning it today that, that, you know, it's, it's funny to have my 19 year old daughter tell me, she goes, she goes, you know, the world doesn't revolve around you. Not everybody's an alcoholic. The world doesn't revolve around you. You, There are other people. And she even knows, and she can, she'll call me on them even to this day. So, but, um, I yeah, I've got a 19-year-old, and they are... <laughs> they're honest, brutally, brutally honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I guess it was that Thursday he had uh, told me that I'm going to have to go on from the hospital. I needed to go into an inpatient treatment facility. And, and he said, you can do an outpatient. He said, I really personally think you need to do inpatient for 30 to 60 days to just kind of really explore what's going on. And... Uh, I was hell bent on doing outpatient. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But, uh, Who would want to do inpatient? You know, I, I and and the whole reason I wanted to do outpatient was because I at this point I know I lost my job, and I said, well, if I do outpatient, I can start the process of trying to find a new job. I don't right. need to wait thirty days, maybe sixty days, to start looking for a new job. I got to, I got to do something. Yeah, now. because I mean, this whole experience blindsided you. You know, you're like you're going from you know, I'm, I'm, I should probably start the week, not too foggy. <laughs> I should cut back. And then, you know, Monday you're getting. Keep in mind, I, 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 in my mind, I thought I should have been CEO of the bank. I mean, that, yeah. and that's literally where my head was at. And I was angry with my previous employer that I wasn't CEO. Why am I not getting promoted? I'm, I'm better than this person. I'm better. And that's that alcoholic way of thinking. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, my wife decided I would actually do inpatient treatment. Okay, and, uh, and 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 at this point, after losing a job and not wanting to lose anything else, I I was willing to agree to anything. So uh, mm-hmm. 
I went to an inpatient treatment facility where they started teaching me how to cope without alcoholism or without alcohol and how to pause and how to do all the things that we talk about on the app so much and all of the different things. Uh, heard a lot of things that didn't make a lot of sense. They talked about, uh, you know, being in your hula hoop and operating within your hula hoop. And it all seems kind of almost pointless and silly, but as I've stayed sober, the longer I got, ah, and I'll, I'll have flashbacks. It's amazing what they can kind of, force in your head when you're not drinking and when you're sober and they've got 30 days to kind of try to start molding and reshaping you. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I can remember my first AA meeting in the treatment facility and it was an older gentleman that had come to talk to us in this meeting. And, um, and he said that, uh, he says, you know, we're all alcoholics in this room. And he said, alcoholics typically die one of two ways um practicing alcoholics they they either die quickly in an accident or they die a long slow painful death and that for whatever reason just really clicked in my brain because i saw prior to going into the hospital i saw where i was dying a slow long painful death and had been for a matter of a couple of years um so that that really clicked and 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 stood out in my head and i'll i'll never forget that and you know i think that's one of those aha moments where you kind of go you know at at this point i've had two or three aha moments and um i was ready to learn and kind of listen to anything and everything anybody told me you know one of the things they told us was you know, when you get out, try to do 90 meetings in 90 days, whether it be AA, um, SMART, um, we do, they have Celebrate Recovery around here, um, but do something, 90 meetings in 90 days. So um, I had kind of sworn off AA. I tried it once before, way long time ago, before any of this all went down. And uh I didn't think AA was the right thing for me. I didn't think I, I tried the program, graduated it and went back to drinking. So it obviously wasn't going to work this time, but mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, when that older gentleman said, you're going to die slow, long, painful death or a quick death that, that really resonated. And then just other speakers that we had come talk to us just really, I saw myself in them when they would yeah. talk. Oh, that's me. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, the world does revolve around me. I, I I think that. Yeah, yeah. People are out to get me. They don't recognize how great I am, and all those little things. I I heard other people say it, and it, it started clicking. So I decided I was gonna do the ninety meetings in ninety days, and that that. So pre- you were kind of all in at that point. You were like, okay, because you had such a pivotal moment with that. I mean, everybody's bottoms are so different in in their use of alcohol. And, um, you know, that moment sounds like it was so pivotal that it definitely jarred you enough to be able to start to be more receptive to some of these these ideas. Yeah, that and the fact that I'd been down the road before. Right. I saw where not following the principles and not doing the things that I needed to do and not, not all those little cliche sayings, pause, halt, 
uh, hungry, angry, lonely, lonely, tired, all those things, everything that you hear, you hear for a reason. And, and I, you know, I knew that there was something more to it than, than, than just graduating from a program. I knew that if I was going to do AA, I couldn't just do the 12 steps and say, okay, I'm done. Now what? Um, I'd done that before and I, I knew I needed to be all in or nothing. So I'm going to ask I, you about that in one second. Let me take a quick pause. And then I want to ask you about, um, about what's different between AA in the past when you went into a sober <laughs> recovery versus today, but we'll take a quick break. So how long were you sober the first time that you tried a meaningful attempt of sobriety in the past? Uh, I had 10 years that I did not drink. Um, and I, I'm real adamant about saying it was 10 years that I did not drink. Um, I didn't use, I didn't use any other substances, but I didn't drink, but I don't like to refer to it as sober living. I see. Um, um, to me, for me, my sobriety is a lot more than just not drinking or using any, any, any chemicals or anything like that. Uh, for me, my sobriety, because of all of the character defects that I talked about earlier, it is dealing with those character defects and dealing with those problems and issues on a daily basis in a way that I guess is normal or is not offensive to the people around me. So mm -hmm. that to me is, is sober living. So I, um, I graduated college and I drank like everybody else in college. So I thought, um, mm -hmm. in my eyes, I, I wasn't doing anything anybody else didn't do. Um, I grad, by the time I graduated college, I had three, uh, driving under the influences DUIs. Um, none of them stuck. They all were taken care of one way or the other. The, I guess probably, a benefit of growing up in the eighties and going to school mm -hmm. in the eighties. <laughs> but uh, all of them were dropped for one reason or the other. Uh, I had other mis miscellaneous misdemeanor offenses and stuff where all of them revolved around me drinking. And um, when I graduated college, I had a, a sister that was in law school who uh, went to an outpatient program for alcoholism. And I looked at her and I was like, she's not an alcoholic. She drinks less than I do. She says, uh, somebody's just selling her a bunch of minutia. She's fine. <laughs> right. And um, she convinced me to, she and a couple other friends or my friends or whatever, convinced me to go to the same outpatient facility and take a test to see if I was an alcoholic. And I don't know if you've ever taken one of these tests before, but it's just difficult. The, the standard five, six page test of how many times a week do you drink? How do many drink drinks in the morning? Do you feel guilty? You <laughs> Have you ever had a blackout? It's all those standard questions. Well, even though I knew I wasn't an alcoholic at that point, I was going to make damn sure somebody else didn't try to tell me I was mm. um, because they'd already taken all this money from my sister and run her through this program. They're not going to do the same to me. So, so I lied. Um, I drank, drink once or twice a day. I drink one or two times. I've had a blackout maybe once. I've never gotten in trouble. I've just, I lied. Every page, every question, I lied. Mm 
And uh, <laughs> I'll never forget, the guy came back after grading the test, and he says, John, I'm, I, I, I want to tell you that you, you, we looked at all your answers, and we definitely feel like you have a drinking problem. Wow, what was your reaction? I was like, basically the same reaction I just had. I started laughing. I was like, there's no way. I said, no, I I don't have a drinking. And he started telling me about the outpatient program. And I go, ah, aha, now I get it. You want me to go into this outpatient program? You want my money? I got this. I don't, again, that alcoholic way of thinking already, I look back now and I go, there it is. I've got this. I can do it. And I was hell bent and determined that I didn't need that. So I kind of followed the prescription that my sister was doing. She was going to AA. So I said, well, I'll go to AA. So I joke about this and, and, and on one hand it's a joke, but there's a little bit of truth to the joke. I started going to AA. And I'll never forget my first meeting. I, I tell people to this day, I, I, I walked in and there were 12 steps on the wall. And I understood you had to work the 12 steps. I understood you had to have a sponsor and there were all these things and all these requirements. Well, at the end of the hour of that meeting, I had gone through all 12 steps. I had already gotten a sponsor, fired him graduated the program and decided I was nothing like the other people in that room. (laughs) These people were the dregs of society, not like me. Uh, Many of them had killed other people in car accidents or things had happened in their life that were way more horrific than anything had ever happened to me, even though I had three DUIs at that point. Um, You know, I, I was nothing like them. So, I was in and out of the doors of AA, not drinking, for two or three years, I guess. And um, I still wasn't drinking. I was watching my sister, who still was not drinking. Stay, she's got almost 30 years sobriety at this point, uh, just a side note. But uh, she still wasn't drinking, and things were really turning around. She was at that three- or four-year mark, and I my sister and I were really, really close up until she got sober and I quit drinking and it pissed me off because her life was so good. Mm-hmm. She had met somebody she was dating. Um, she was getting the perfect jobs and I, and I just, it was all fake. It was all fake. Mm-hmm. Nobody's life could be that good she's and this is before social media but it, she's she was the, the picture perfect person on facebook that you see whose life everything is rainbows and unicorns and and i was like her life is not that good it's bullshit she's just trying to get me to stay with this aa stuff i'm not doing it I'm yeah and then it not- almost translates to aa that resentment it's like it, it well, this really is bullshit. that's bullshit it's all bullshit <laughs> Yeah, and I can do it on my own. I'm good enough. Doggone it. I, I can do this. I got it. I'm in control. Wow, where did that come from? I don't know. But, yeah, I, I truly thought I was in total control. So the last four or five years, I just white-knuckled it and did not drink. Wow. And- so, I mean, if you thought it was kind of a sham from the get-go even, I, I what, did was there a part of you that thought – but I mean, I, 
maybe I should do this. What was motivating you to stay sober? Was it your sibling? Um, like more I'm like, pretty, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to yes. prove myself wrong. Yes. Or, yes. All of the above. I, I, again, is that mental? It was that I, I am a very controlling person. Mm. very controlling and I would lie, cheat and steal to be in control of a situation. And this was my way of controlling and showing and proving everybody else. You're wrong. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't need AA. I don't need this. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm in control of my life. My life is perfectly manageable and I've got this and don't need it. And, uh, that worked until, I guess it was about 1999 or 2000, 2000, I guess it was. And, uh, I, I, I'm part-time military. I do uh, one weekend a month with the military. I had 28 years. I retired in 2017, oh, but anyhow. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. But, uh, the military offered me an opportunity to go to Germany for three weeks. And, uh, I found out about it about six to nine months before the trip. So, cause I had to practice. I, I do remember practicing and I determined my, that I was not going to go to German Germany and not drink German beer. The sobriety <laughs> thing is okay. I'm all right with not drinking, but damn it. If I'm going to go to Germany, I'm drinking German beer. Yeah. You got a picture of the Stein and the whole that, thing. That's and... it. That was it. <laughs> so I, I started drinking about six months prior to that. Just kind of, hiding it from anybody and everybody and uh, nothing more than beer and um, went to Germany and uh, drank in Germany successfully and then uh, came home and decided uh, that's it. I'm going to put it up again. And after about two or three weeks, I convinced myself, well, I can drink non-alcoholic beer. And this is why I love it when people talk about non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic wine on the app and things. I, I'm not a proponent. I am not yeah. a proponent at all. It, it's to me, uh, it's a gateway drug. And for me, it was a gateway drug because I started drinking the non-alcoholic beer after getting back from Germany. Um, again, my way to try and controlling control the situation. And uh, then I decided that uh, Miller Lite, Coors Light, and this is in no means an endorsement for them. But uh, their beer is basically non-alcoholic. It has 2% or not much more than 2% alcohol in it. So, Yeah, and then the rationalization kind of snowballed that, from that, there, that, right? That alcoholic brain started really kicking in on me. And uh, I decided I would just do it on weekends. And then it went from weekends to just during football games. Then it was football games on Saturday, football games on Sunday, Monday night football, Friday, Thursday night football. Friday. And it, it soon became where I was drinking beer pretty much seven days a week. And uh, my wife, of course, had found out by then, and she drinks. And she was okay because the whole time that I wasn't drinking, she wasn't drinking. So now she's got somebody, and she was comfortable drinking around me. So that just kind of kicked off her enabling personality that that kind of yeah. came along with my alcoholism and then it, it just graduated and graduated to I'll drink wine at parties mm -hmm. and then uh, vodka is not much different than wine it's just a little stronger and I'll just do vodka on the weekends I chapter three in the big book for Alcoholics Anonymous is my favorite chapter 
because it goes through all of the alcoholic rationalizations. I'll only drink this. I'll only do this. I won't drink at work. I won't drink when I'm, I'll only do it. On, it, it goes through everything. I, I, when I read that the first time I checked off everything that was in that, I'll only, you know, I will only drink wine. I'll only drink this kind of wine. I'll only drink single malt scotch. I won't drink. <laughs> I've been down every one of those. And it was, it's amazing though, isn't it? People don't realize unless they've been wrapped up in it. And sometimes you don't realize for years, the slow oh, onset of it and the slow rationalization and how you just start to bend and skew your reality to fit like, you know, at the end of my drinking, I was drinking on the way to work and, and at eight in the morning and I didn't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. That's probably, just what that's, I did. Yeah. That's, you know, uh, it's, I'm not drinking that much. It's just a little bit to steady my hand. Cause I, I remember yeah. being in meetings and stuff and trying to write things and my hands shaking so bad and trying to hide my handwriting because I didn't want anybody to see how bad my hands were shaking and how bad my handwriting was. Uh, I, I'd gone through business meetings with food and lunch where I didn't touch my drink one time mm -hmm. because I knew if I picked up the glass, I was going to probably more than likely spill it all over the table with the shakes. So yeah. I'd eat the entire meal without drinking. And if my mouth became too dry, I'd just quit eating. Um, <laughs> Right. Just, All the weird things we do to hide yeah. what we're really going through. And, 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 you know, and, and, you know, and in the back of your mind, you feel like that's all totally normal. And I was blessed with a, a regular physician that used to be a neighbor of mine who anytime I came to him with, now I look back and I know it was a symptom of my alcoholism. Anytime I went to him, he would give me a prescription to offset that, that, that symptom. I'm always tired. I just, I don't know. I'm tired throughout the day. I don't know what it is, but I, no matter how much I sleep, I'm just tired. He goes, Oh, well you need this. And he gave me a pill that, um, I can't think of the name of it, but it's for narcolepsy. And, oh, I see. And, yeah. and it was supposed to help keep me awake throughout the day. And it, for people that work swing shifts, work night and then have to go back to work in days. So he gave me that. And then, um, I'll never forget. I said, you know, these shakes are getting really bad. I don't know what it is. So he gave me a medicine for restless leg syndrome um, mm -hmm. to try and help stabilize my shakes. And, you know, he was right there enabling and justifying it right along with me. So did he know you have a problem or, or you had a problem? Now. He does now, right? <laughs> but he didn't. He does he now. Didn't Matter of fact, uh, after getting out of treatment, I, I saw where he was enabling and I saw where he was just going with the flow to help me. And uh, I swore I would never go back and see him again. Uh, the first doctor I saw after going out of treatment, I was completely upfront with her. And I told her, I said, I've got, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. Don't give me anything, any, anything that's altering. And she was right there in with me. Well, apparently she logged it in my chart because they both work for the same clinic. It's a, it's a chain of, a, whole network of clinics here and uh i actually went back to him for the first time in probably two years about three weeks ago and i don't even know what i was seeing him for um um but i, I went to see him and and when he was writing a prescription for whatever i'd gone in for he he said don't worry this is not narcotic <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> right? Apparently, it was in my chart, and he, he knew that. <laughs> so he you knew I had karate. You know, I want to ask you while we're kind of on the same topic um, about the NA beers and the NA wines and why you think that they're not helpful, because I think that there will be many people in the earlier milestones who are listening to this, who are really looking for that substitute. And I'm wondering what you, you know, I'm wondering if you will elaborate a little more on your experience of why you think they're bad and why people might, you know, benefit from staying away from them. Um, and, you know, to each his own. And, and this is just me and it's my experience from that first round of sobriety when, when I thought, you know, the, the zero, I think I turned to the, and I think it's the same reason a lot of people, they miss the taste and I just got to have that taste. I don't know that it's really, the mind is, is, is really, and you know, we say it's cunning, baffling and powerful, the disease is. I don't know and I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist or brain surgeon or anything like that, but I think our brain tells us it's okay, that it's not alcoholic. It's okay. You missed the taste. Remember you drank because you liked the taste. Mm -hmm. Well, I also like the taste of apple juice, but I don't sit and drink a case of apple juice in one sitting. Um, yeah. yeah, I like the taste of a good vodka drink, but there's, 101 other things I can drink to replace the taste of that, that apple, that, that vodka drink. Mm -hmm. um, there's 101 other things other than non-alcoholic beer that I can drink to substitute what I missed in the taste of that beer. So I guess my thought is, is it really the taste I'm missing? Is it really mm -hmm. that or am I thinking I might get something else out of it? Yeah. And I think in my mind, it's that this tastes like beer. So maybe I'll get the feeling and, and it, you gotta, I mean, the brain works in weird ways. And I think when you send a sensation that I'm drinking beer to your brain, it might relax and it might calm because your brain at first just thinking, I remember this, this is good stuff. <laughs> this is going to make you feel better, but then it doesn't. And something happens to those dopamine levels. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And it starts looking for what that beer is supposed to be doing for you. It's looking, yeah. I recognize the taste, but I don't rec this isn't the feeling something's still missing. And I'll tell you just because of where you're at, you're at six to eight months, six to eight months. My brain started really kicking in high gear. It was kind of like my brain had accepted the fact that, okay, this dude's serious. He's really not going to drink anymore. He's not going to give me this. And my I got to get some creative ways. <laughs> um, and I was going to go through in the back door and do some. Yeah. And shit. I was actually, I actually had a, uh, there was a song playing on the radio and, um, it was talking about Molly's and I was like, you know, I never really tried any pills. I never really did any drugs. Cause I was in the military. I couldn't do drugs. 
And if it's a prescription medication, I mean, my brain started honestly going through this road at six months. So, okay, well, I'm not going to drink and my brain knows I'm not going to drink, but what if Xanax, I don't know, should I, could yeah. I would it, how can I get a prescription? And there was actually one day and I'm making sure my wife and daughter have not walked back in because I don't know if they know this story. There was one day that I came home. I've got a a 23-year-old, he's 23 now, an older son who had ADHD. And I tore through their bathroom looking for ADHD medication, thinking maybe, maybe that will do something for me to get. And and I just think that I don't think human, as, as humans, I don't think we just don't realize the power of our brains. Yeah, and that's of why I'm not a proponent of NA. I just think um, there's there's an ulterior motive that you might not even know about. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it kind of feels like you're unconsciously inviting self-sabotage in a way, because, you know, if you if you do if you do not get the pleasure out of it or even I don't know, it's almost like it's part of you wants even though you know you don't want to drink again and 90%, 95, 99, hell, a part of you wants that through and through, there's still that little part of your brain that's going to, as you say, try to weasel its way in and, and get bigger, take up more space and try to convince the rest of you that you do want what yeah, you want. Like I said, I've, I've been, yeah, and I've been down that road by, before. I mean, my brain literally told me, you know, 2% is virtually zero. You might as well try it. Go ahead. Right. You can mm-hmm. do it. And, and my brain is always telling me you can do it. You know, I, I, I'll put it this way. I think it's as hard for an alcoholic to understand the normal drinker, um, the perception of normal drinking. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting at the pool at our neighborhood and I'm watching other people drink beer. And I'm like, wow, that would really be good right now. And I just couldn't help but think and laugh because I look at them and they're all drinking their one beer, two beers. They've got these little tiny, cute little coolers. I'm like, shit, I'm the guy that had to have the cooler with wheels. I'm gonna <laughs> carry that thing in the pool. And oh, got, that's so true. And I'm like, oh. I, I can't understand what's the point. Because I can lie to you all day long and tell you I like the taste of beer. I love the way beer tastes. I didn't love the taste of it that much. Yeah. Not that I didn't love the taste that I had to drink 12 of them and couldn't stop because it just tasted so damn good. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if any of us and all of us were completely honest, we did not drink because we liked the taste. You might have liked the taste, but there was something else. There was another reason you were drinking other than you liked the taste. And that mm-hmm. overcame the taste by far. Yeah, I like the taste of a good scotch. I love the burning of it going down my throat. But I like the way it made me feel a hell of a lot better. I like the way it made me forget all the troubles of my day. That was a lot more appealing than the taste. So I just don't, the NA thing, I just don't get it. Um, It's caused troubles for me in the past. 
I tell anybody and everybody, my friend, I've got people that I was an outpatient with. A guy went on a fishing trip with some of his clients and he drank Heineken 0.0. And I was just like, be careful. Yeah. So what did you, what do you drink now? Or what did, especially what did you drink in the beginning? Or were you afraid to touch anything? I, um, no, I, and, and, and my therapist called me on this because I am a juice fanatic. Mm-hmm. And, um, like what kind of juice do you like to juice your own juice or are you buying the high end bottles or I like playing with juices and somebody's going to say, Oh, you won't drink 0.0s, but you'll, you'll, mix uh apple cider vinegar with apple juice or you'll mix pineapple juice and this juice or you'll mix you know mix up juices to get a different taste i don't know the difference it might not be a difference my my therapist called me on it she said she's she said because i told her how much i enjoy orange juice and she goes well aren't you worried that it's going to trigger you into wanting a screwdriver and I said, well, I've never thought of it like that. I'm drinking juice to drink juice, not because I think it might be a screwdriver. Um, and, screwdrivers and were gross. Huh? <laughs> I said screwdrivers were gross. Even yeah, that was a last resort. Now, vodka that was like a college I, drink, screwdrivers in the red cup. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, that, that's exactly, yeah. You know, but I... I Vodka tonic, vodka cranberry, martini, look out. Mm -hmm. I'm triggering myself. Look out myself. Oh, don't do that. But yeah. (laughs) So what do you, so you like to drink juices? I I drink a lot of juice. I drink uh, all of the flavored waters, the carbonated waters. My refrigerator, I I can take you over to the fridge and show you everything (laughs) in there. Um, My big treat that I've really gotten into, and uh, it's kind of my new addiction, and it's kind of a must-have in my house, and I recommend anybody. It's better than any 0.0 alcohol, non-alcohol, whatever. Tiny cokes. Oh, really? In the bottle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in the, in bottle. the bottle. Okay. Got to be the glass bottle, not the can, and not okay. the plastic. It's got to be the tiny old but you're, school. But you're coke. hiding. You're holding up something that's like three inches tall. Do they make? Okay. Well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Don't let me go get one, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's like an eight to 10 ounce, just old school. Yeah. yeah, those are cool. They've got yeah. the nostalgia vibe going for it. Yeah, the it one well. that you pull out of the machine and it had all the mm-hmm. dust on the bottle. Those. <laughs> the so, ones with the real Coke in them. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you can feel the carbonation as it goes down. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's my new vibe is, is the tiny Cokes. I love those. Um, and like I said, any kind of any kind of carbonated water. I drink a lot of carbonated water. Um, so we'll 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 switch off this drink topic in a second. But how do you feel about the kombuchas? Have you tried the kombuchas? I'm very them? cautious about the kombuchas. Yeah. And if I don't have my glasses and I can't read the label, I make my wife read the label. And even if I can read the label, I'll make her read the label after me because some of them do have alcohol in them. Yeah, it's something like they'll say like trace amounts less than 0.05%. And um, and the way I've been told, it's like the same fruit alcohol, like a banana, like a ripe banana. And I, I was worried about it as well. They haven't been triggering to me, but... They're not. I didn't... Yeah, but I didn't really... 
I wasn't much of a beer person and I don't know, they can kind of seem like a beer um, sometimes. Yeah, I've done some of the kombuchas and, and a lot of what I do and experiment and play with, with uh, the fruit juices, uh, I can, um, it's probably wrong and it's probably not the most sober thing to do, but I'll even tell my wife, I'll tell her to make me a cocktail, a juice mm -hmm. cocktail. And that's where she'll take different juices, mix them, maybe a little apple cider vinegar. We get something here locally that uh, one of her friends concocts. It's got a ginger juice, turmeric, uh, cayenne, oh, and different things in it that it's kind of really acidic and has a really kind of mm. a little kick bite to it. And uh, I'll usually take that and water it down with some apple juice and, and maybe a little apple cider vinegar splashed in it. And that's my juice cocktail. So I have juice cocktails. I, you know, there's so, I went to a, the, back to the neighborhood function Friday night because um, they, they had free wine and stuff at the event. And I, I, I knew people would be drinking and just to have something in my hand, I brought me my juice cocktail. And it was in a tumbler, a metal tumbler. And uh, I just nursed on that all night, which that never would have happened as my wife slam four glasses of wine i drank the same drink the whole time but uh we actually got in a conversation with somebody and the lady the girl was talking she says yeah talking about another family or another couple and she said yeah they don't like to come because they don't drink and i just oh. couldn't help but kind of grin because she's here talking to me about somebody else that doesn't drink and i'm like i, I wanted to say something and, and i just let it go i was like yeah you, know, <laughs> you still get out of your house if you don't drink and I'm real cautious to recommending that to people that are, that are still early sobriety. You know, uh, that's, sure. it's, it's, I, I think that's a personal thing. Um, for me, I, I always have an exit plan. So that's, I, yes. um, the exit plan, always, get that parachute ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I've been really, really, really surprised things like the neighborhood event. Most of the people were drinking bottled water, whereas used to my mind would have been saying everybody's drinking everybody's getting hammered this is awesome and now i go and i'm like nobody's getting hammered and the people drinking aren't drinking that much um yeah that's aging right there yeah <laughs> so. well we'll take a quick break and um be back in a minute i'm gonna ask you about your your new experience in what you what you term your real sobriety in AA, as I wonder if there might be people in early sobriety who are gonna be interested in that. So we'll come back in just a second. So John, we were gonna talk a little bit about your, your current experience or your experience in AA now versus back when you first attempted not drinking, not drinking versus actual sobriety. Okay, yeah. So um, I guess we'll start, you know, when I got out of treatment, I, the first thing I did was I said I was going to do the 90 meetings in 90 days. And, um, you know, to, to, to put a kink in it, to really kind of give you an idea of how serious I was about this. My wife, who uh, had literally been through hell the last three months when I got out of treatment, uh, dealing with me, getting me in treatment, dealing with insurance companies, a sick father, everything else in the world. She just wanted to go somewhere on vacation. So we decided we were going to go and um, 
Sorry. Um, I just looked out the corner of my eye and I realized that I've got a dog that went to the bathroom in the house. But oh. <laughs> those pesky animals. Not Quite my problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yet. But um, so I kind of owed her a vacation. So we went to South Carolina literally three days after I um, got out of treatment which now I'm faced with the idea of, okay, I said I was going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. I'm serious about that. How am I going to do it? So I found an app online that um, it's a meeting finder and you can put in any location and it tells you about meetings. So we went and we were visiting my sister in South Carolina and I used the meeting finder to find meetings and they had meetings all day, every day within a five mile radius of her house. So I said, this, I'm going to do it. So um, I'll never forget the first meeting. And it was a lot like my first meeting 20 years ago where I walked in and I'm like, well, first when I drove up, it was all motorcycles in the parking lot. And um, there was a bunch of um, guys out with beards, ZZ Top beards, the really long beards. And everybody was smoking and, and lots of ink and, and all that. And about as far from me as is looking as different for me as you could possibly look. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to be interesting. And I'll tell you, it wasn't, we got through with the intro into the meeting and the AA uh, prelude and all of that. And as soon as we got into the topic, I was like, wow, <laughs> I am just like these people. And all of a sudden I saw the similarities and not the differences. And I realized we all look different. Uh, you know, not all sober people look the same either. So not all alcoholics are expected to look the same. So I, um, yeah, so I realized it. So I, I was able to, to go to meetings, one or two meetings every day on that vacation. And then I'll never forget. Um, it was kind of another little, one of those, I call them God winks where I went to my first meeting after getting home from South Carolina and it was a crowded meeting. There was very few empty chairs, probably 40, 50 people in the meeting. And uh, this guy had a chair next to him and he, he had me sit, I sat next to him. And uh, he introduced himself after the meeting and this guy's got 30 years sobriety and uh, wow. asked me about myself and where I'd from and was this my first meeting and blah, blah, blah. And he asked me, he said, do you have a sponsor? I said, no, I don't. And he goes, well, you got one now. And he said, here's Aww. my finger. He said, call me in the morning. And um, William, William drugged me around for the next two to three weeks to different area meetings. And it was not just meetings that were easy to go to or convenient or whatever. It was meetings where there were other people with long-term sobriety and then they had just enough mix of new sobriety like myself in the meetings that I could learn. And it was people that I could really learn from. And uh, I stuck with William for about three months as a sponsor. And, um, and uh, you know, William, man, he was relentless on the steps and step work. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was on. You didn't step. graduate them all in one session, like no, the first no, that was no. William was not going <laughs> to let me graduate steps, and God forbid if I didn't call him in any particular day, I didn't go. I went without calling him, but um, 
I finally remember after a meeting, I, I went and I said, William, I'm, I, I really think I'm ready to move on to step two and three. And he goes, he said, are you willing, absolutely willing to do anything and everything possible, humanly possible to, to stay sober? And I said, yes. I said, I think I've made that clear. I am. And he goes, he said, we'll talk tomorrow. And, and still kind of pushed me and, and just really was relentless on making sure I took my time going through the steps and working the steps. And um, it wasn't long after that that uh, I went to a meeting here locally, um, about five minutes from my house. And it, it's another, it's a really large group, and I'll never forget walking in there, and I saw an old college friend of mine. Oh, and, wow. And um, that's when so I learned. So much for the anonymity, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and I, you know, I didn't really care, because I, I think most of my college friends were like, well, it's about damn time you figure it out. We've known it for years, you know. And, you know. But I, it, it's the infamous words of walking into an AA meeting and seeing somebody you know, you go, what are you doing here? Well, he said the same thing you're doing. <laughs> like, well, I didn't know you had a drinking problem. He goes, well, that's because I don't drink. It's not a problem. <laughs> um, but uh, it wasn't long after that I asked him to be my sponsor. So he's my permanent oh, sponsor, nice. still my sponsor to this day. Um, we talk almost every day. I try to message him or he messages me almost every day. And, um, yeah, the, the step work it was brutal. Um, the fourth step was, oh my God, it yeah. might've taken me three months to get through that fourth step. Um, and for those it, people who are listening that don't know the fourth, the fourth step is all the whole, uh, inventory part, right? Where you're supposed yeah. to like evaluate all aspects of your being, character, defects and all, right? Which uh, if you can get past the mental block of what it is, and actually just start putting it on paper. Um, I guess it was by the bottom of the second page or so that I realized everything I was writing down all came back to one thing and it all kind of interlaced into fear. And oh, interesting. So yeah. uh, fear of not being the center of attention, fear of not being in total control, fear of not being successful, fear of not having enough, fear of not being enough. It was all fear-based. And, um, you know, I think I remember calling my sponsor. I remember um, my sponsor's name is Smitty. And I'll, I'll never forget calling Smitty and saying, I get it now. Yeah. I see what you're making me do. Y'all are, you're making me do this fourth step. I'm starting to see every one of them on a fourth or fifth different pro issue and problems that I have and character defect. And, and as I nailed down and, and look at it, it all goes back to being afraid and fear and, and all of those things. So, um, and they're all intertwined. You know, if I look at my desire to be in control of everything, well, my desire to be in control is because I don't trust you and I don't know that you're going to do what's in my best interest or what I want to be done. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it all, it's all interlined. But uh, um, yeah, and took how, time getting through how long time. were you sober when, uh, how long were you sober this new time before you started tackling that? Would you say? Uh, fourth step, I was probably at about eight to nine months. Got you. In. Um, mm -hmm. and the fifth step, fifth step. Um, so you've got some real distance at this point, a real break from, from the booth. Yeah, and I, I, and I told to you that, that, that even 
I can tell you it was right around nine months because I remember my wife getting really frustrated with some of my, um, I, I call it kind of replacement therapy, but just things coming up that I was still trying to look for, or my brain was still trying to look for ways to replace or something to replace that alcohol with. And it was probably right around nine months when I completed my fourth or fifth step that it was like things started kind of relieving themselves. Um, it was probably around four or five months. Um, I had heard it way too many times in too many meetings that, um, people saying you got to hit your knees and you've got to turn it all over to your higher power and let your higher power take control. And it was probably around five months when that, I, I remember that distinctly because, um, I've had at that point, I was still unemployed. There were no interviews coming. Nothing was happening in my life to the gear. I, I had about two months worth of income left and things just weren't happening. And, uh, so you got like know. fear on top of fear, you know, you've got all yeah. those fears you're trying to so, dissect in sobriety uh, on I, top of it was probably real about life things. Yeah. And it was probably about one o'clock in the morning. I finally, I just rolled off the couch onto my knees and I said, that's it. I said, I don't care. Take the house, take my cars, take care of my wife, take care of the kids. I don't care. I'll live in a van by the river. I don't care. It, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And, um, and I think that goes back to kind of a little bit about what William had told me in that, those early months was like, are you willing to do anything and everything and just basically turn it all over to your higher power and, and trust and have faith in your higher power. And I, at that point I did it that, and that that's kind of where the miracles or I call them miracles started kind of happening. I, I did it that, that about one o'clock, that was probably a Thursday or Friday. And the following Monday I had an interview and it was with another bank and uh, went and started going through the interview process with them. And it was at the same time that I was also looking at investing into this franchise. So um, it actually all happened in December of that year. Um, this would have been 2019 at the December, 2019, I had a job offer to start in January and um, I had met with the franchise and signed the contract to purchase a franchise and buy into the, the fitness franchise. So um, all of that happened in like December and started moving forward that January of 2020. So, um, and then just so many little things that just, um, uh, I guess about October, I had talked to um, a state agency here in Mississippi um, that works with veterans and does work with veterans. And uh, the executive director was looking to resign. And, uh, um, you know, he thought, wanted to know if I would be interested. Well, he, he changed his mind and didn't. And, and it was, uh, I guess, September of this past year, 2020, that he called me back and said, I'm definitely retiring this time. And, you know, things just start falling into place. Uh, yeah. Such and, a good feeling so, after all that struggle, you know, and all that all uncertainty. That, you know, and then I didn't mention, you know, my, my mom died in all that period. Uh, oh, not well, November 2020. Yeah. So, but, you know, I can't imagine going through my mom's death and being there with my mom had I been drinking. Yeah. Um, 
to be able, especially with COVID, um, you know, to be able to have the nursing home, one, the nursing home probably would have never let me pass the front door because they probably would have smelled the alcohol on my breath. But to be able to go in there and spend the final hours with my mom um, mm. was very special. And I, I, I owe it to the people around me that have, that have helped hold me true to what I, what I do. Um, you know, it, it's the thing about AA and, 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 and whatnot is, is it, and I learned it partly from my first run with AA where I graduated at my first meeting. Uh, it, it's not a program that you graduate from. Um, and I talk about living sober and, and sober living. Um, for me to maintain a sober lifestyle or live sober, I've got to work those steps. I've got to turn it over. I've got to accept. It might not be accepting that I'm an alcoholic. It might be accepting that something else is going to happen the way it happens. It's mm -hmm. accepting life on life's terms. Um, so those 12 steps are something for me to work and to look at and to work on every day of my life. Mm, and mm -hmm. I feel like the days that I do those steps and the days that I try to give back, I know, you know, we see a lot of people on the app and things talking about uh, giving back and giving back, just like this is Drifter's way of giving back and helping the next alcoholic. That is a huge, huge part of AA and a huge part, I think a really monumental part of staying sober is working yeah. with other alcoholics and, 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 spreading the word and saying it is possible there is a way out and we do recover um you know uh, all of the things that i saw happening for my sister when she got sober and i was so resentful toward her i i've seen that and more coming true in my own life um we've since renewed our relationship and i'm closer to her than i was before she got sober the first time so or, or, oh that's amazing yeah, so you know, I Has I wouldn't she stayed get sober all this time. She's got almost thirty years. Wow. I would have almost thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> so word for those beer steins in Germany. <laughs> Damn Germans. Yeah. That's uh yeah. And and me graduating and thinking I had it all under control. But uh you know, we, the, there, there's a plan for all of us. And that, that was my path. That was my plan. And that, that was the way my higher power intended for, for things to work out. I, I don't know all of the reasons, you know, I don't know what will come of me doing this podcast. I don't, I don't know what the reason is, but you know, maybe a year from now, maybe a six months from now, maybe a lifetime from now, I find out that somebody heard this or somebody listened to it or something happened as a result of this podcast, I'll go, hey, that's why Drifter asked me to do this. Yeah. And I, I just think there are so many things in life. Everything I, I think happens for a reason. You know, whether there was vodka in that cup on my desk that day that I got caught, I don't know. I don't know. Did I black out and somehow get got smuggled vodka in my office and don't remember any of it. Maybe I, who am I to say that I didn't, I know I did a lot of other really horrible things. Um, so who's to say that I didn't, um, but those ev events unfolded for a purpose and they allowed you to be where you are. 
And yeah. I, and I believe, I believe there are some events that are going to probably happen in your life that you probably won't realize or won't know what the reason or what it was until, until we die and right. you meet your maker, whoever that might be. And you, you go, ah, now I see, you know, I, I look at how my life before sobriety and my life after sobriety has affected my children, my adult children, you know, um, to hear my 19 year old spout back sobriety sayings to me, you know, reminds me, am I doing or setting the right example for the people around me? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not, you know, um, and alcohol and, and AA, we like to say it's, it's progress, not perfection. And mm -hmm. we will never, I will never graduate. I will never master this program. And all I've got is today. Yeah. And, not um, the, not the destination, the journey, right? One, one day at a time. And that's it. And living in the moment. That's one of the things. Do you, um, I mean, it sounds like there's, it's such a huge difference from two years ago to today. You know, for people who are, you know, having the day once, because it sounds like, you know, when you first started, when that pivotal day happened, you had some ideas in your mind, like, I'm going to chill out this weekend. It's not going to be as bad. You described in one of your posts on the app, this choice of not drinking so much that day, but then drinking a couple just to take the edge off. And then it all snowballed from there or unfolded. Like it is that painful loop that we get trapped in for, for years sometimes. And we just repeat day one in our mind over and over that intention. What do you think? Um, what do you think that you would say to somebody who's really trying to break that loop? Um, God, I, I almost hate to say it because it is so AA cliche, but keep coming back. Mm -hmm. Keep coming back. Um, don't give up. Just because you drank today doesn't mean you have to drink tomorrow. And don't worry about tomorrow and tomorrow until tomorrow's here. Um, I, I, love, I love all the twists on today that I've learned over the last two years. And that's, you know, I can't do anything about yesterday. Yesterday is gone. I can't do anything about tomorrow because it isn't here yet. And until tomorrow is today, I'm not going to worry about it. So, you know, live today. Um, if you've already started drinking today, it's done. Don't, don't worry about it. You, you just put it down for now, put it down for today, put it down this minute and, and, and just go one minute at a time if you have to. And then when you wake up tomorrow, try to do it again. Um, but don't worry about tomorrow until you get to tomorrow. You know, I, I, I was, I guess, you know, and I did start posting, I guess, about three days before my two years. But I, I, I don't even like posting three days before my two years because I don't know what's going to happen on the day, the eve of my two-year anniversary. I didn't know what was going to happen that day. You know, put me in a catastrophic event, put me in the wrong situation at the wrong time. I don't know that I would have made two years, you know, mm -hmm. God willing, I made my two years. And I, anytime I talk about any future sobriety date, I always say, God willing, you know, you know, I plan to wake up sober tomorrow, but you know, once I get off this podcast, we don't know what might go in my Coke. Right. <laughs> so, but it's just, uh, you gotta just don't give up. If you mess up today, just go to bed, wake up in the morning and start over 
just mm -hmm. keep coming back. Keep putting yourself around other successful people. Listen to other people. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And no matter what you, you think it, your brain might tell you is okay, I've heard people, I've heard other alcoholics say, you know, don't, don't trust anything your brain tells you for the first year. <laughs> and, and, you know, that I, I see that and I understand that now, but I still don't believe and trust everything my brain does and says to me to this day. Um, yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't two weeks ago that a Budweiser truck drove by in front of me at the intersection with that beautiful mist spraying out of the top. And I'm like, wow, that looks good. And then I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you didn't like Budweiser. You drank craft beer. You were too, too hoity-toity to drink Budweiser. But and it's I, that awareness, though, right? Like, you've got, yeah. you're able now to separate that voice out and see it for what it is. Whereas in active addiction, it just takes over. And it, it does it, it take over. Mm -hmm. it, it takes over and it, it, it twists, it twists reality and you, 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 you have a warped sense of reality. In my mind, I wasn't drinking any more than anybody else around me. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll use a real simple analogy. I, I'll never forget the first time that my wife and I went out to eat at a restaurant that had a bar. And, and serve drinks. And I was really, really apprehensive. And I said, how is this going to be? I said, you know, they're going to have, people are going to be drinking at other tables. Everybody's going to be drinking. Not, and I'm going to be the only, my wife and I are going to be the only ones in the restaurant not drinking. And I remember going and I remember sitting there and I remember we had ordered our meal and we we're probably about two thirds of the way through with our meal. And it was the first thought I had that, who else is drinking? Everybody's drinking. I bet you everybody's drinking. And I looked around the, the I looked around the restaurant and couldn't find at first, first glance, could not find a table with alcohol on it. Yeah. And I said, mm -hmm. damn, nobody's drinking. And I literally had to look a second and third time to find two tables out of a restaurant with about 75 tables in it that had alcohol on them. And, and I'm like, wow, I thought everybody drank when they went out to dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's, it's crazy because I, I, you, your brain gets into the point and, and that's why I, I don't trust anything my brain tells me and, 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 and go back to the non-alcoholic beers and things. And I, I just don't trust my brain enough to, to, to rationalize or to think logically that, that, that's okay. And, and, you know, it, it does, it, it looks around and it tries to paint the abnormal as normal. Mm -hmm. and it tells you you're not doing anything. No, anybody else is doing. Everybody's yeah. had three DUIs. What? Well, and we have so much social proof around us, you know, because there are environments where everyone is drinking and then you feel like, you know, well, that's the norm. And our brain just continues to form opinions over a span of years based on these perceptions, social proof, et cetera, that, that just form. And so those, all those things take dismantling in this recovery process. We have to form completely new perspectives and new opinions 
on top, especially if you're older, you know, these opinions have been around for a while, you know, I'm yeah. 44. These yeah, opinions and, and, have been in there for a bit. Yeah. And, and you mentioned situations where everybody around you is drinking, but I, I can now I have the clarity to say, yeah, everybody around me is drinking, but how many of them are looking at the clock and saying, mm -hmm. okay, I won't get my next beer until the big hands on the four. <laughs> right. And saying, I'm not going to drink until 20 after or mm -hmm. until the half hour. I'm going to wait until a half hour. How many people, yeah, they're all drinking, but how many are like the half hour That's I'll get the next drink? Yeah. And then, and then telling yourself, well, you know, I ate a lot for lunch today, so I don't really need to wait the full half hour. I can get it 10 <laughs> minutes earlier. That's right. where everybody else might be drinking, but I promise you everybody else is not looking at the clock and thinking that way. Yeah, and, they don't have that inner rationalization that they have to deal with. And you see, I can say that to you and you laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about because oh, you yeah. probably watched the clock before. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, or you know, it's like I'd keep it'd be more of a keeping tally of how many people had had how many wines or how much could I get rid you know, how much was left in the bottle and was there gonna be enough for all of this? Like the 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 liquor math that you get into that you know, to kind of like calm your is there enough liquor paranoia is just silly. Oh god, and, yeah. And that and then, freedom that you have when you completely remove that is something that is indescribable truly do you think and then you you pour that last drink of the night and it's like all right i'm not drinking anymore after this one this is the last one tonight i'm going to bed and then you pour the drink and i always kept my vodka in the freezer and i get ready to put the vodka back in the freezer and there's just about a quarter inch to a half inch left in the bottle and i'm like well, shit, that's not even another drink. I'm not, I, I can't leave that in the box. I'm, I'm going to have mm -hmm. to finish it now. And yeah, that, that yeah. now it becomes one more. So mm -hmm. it, it's that rash. Never ending, right? Yeah. What is that saying? Like a thousand, one drink is too many and a thousand is never enough. Never <laughs> so enough. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I guess the big thing is just keep coming back and don't ever stop. It, it's, it, it might not, maybe today is not your last day. Maybe tomorrow. We all have, um, I've, I've been to so many meetings and, and so many conversations about rock bottoms. Uh, and I truly don't know. Did I hit my rock bottom? I don't know. I could go out and start drinking again tomorrow and I might, the, what was my rock bottom two years ago? would look like a, a day at the fair or a picnic compared to what my next rock bottom, uh, you know, I, I truly think the only real rock bottom anybody ever really has is death. And yeah. if you don't believe this disease will kill you, I, I've seen plenty of people just in two years that are, are either I know them firsthand or know of them that have died from this disease or from the complications of this disease, uh, from suicide to overdosing to, to everything. So it's, it will kill you. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the big eye openers for me was that I didn't know how much it could impact my mental health. And once it started, 
you know, I had my, I had my ups and downs during drinking, but I never knew that I could get to such a low place emotionally um, as I did. And, you know, it's just, it certainly wasn't the, it's certainly not the picture that we all see in advertisements and Super Bowl commercials of young people drinking and laughing <laughs> it up and it's the elixir of life. You, you know, know they, in the end, yeah, they need to show the four hours later when it's now instead of a hundred people at the party, you're down to ten or fifteen, and and they're fighting and there's crying and people are throwing up, and that's the picture. I, I don't think Budweiser wants you to see that picture. No, so. or they don't want to see three in the morning when you wake up and you know you have to be at work and you know you're trying to drink in the morning to just maintain or you feel like, yeah. you know, like you don't want to exist anymore because it has completely sucked your soul away. And well, that's the, that's the you truth. Know, you, you know, I, I, I drank, I don't want to say that I drank because I was depressed or I drank because I was happy or any of that. Cause I, I drank because the day ended and why typically, but um, since I've quit and probably around the one year mark or whatever, um, I'm off my antidepressants altogether. Oh, wow. No antidepressants. Congratulations. Um, that must I'm feel off, nice. It, yeah. Um, I've, I've managed to get off my anxiety medication. I take one pill um, that is uh, actually for blood pressure and does help a little bit with anxiety as well, but that's just a, one of the alternate things that it does. But um, So pretty much my main anxiety medication my depression medication I've been able to get off of and you know now I'm just taking medicines for my overall just bad health and bad eating habits but you know one thing at a time right that's right can't change everything <laughs> I love you know Rolto and that uh, Rolto and Washington always likes to post pictures about food I keep telling them I'm gonna bring them down here to uh, to yes. Mississippi and have a food off. Raul. You guys have the good food down there. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, I got some good food up in Washington. It looks yeah. like too. He's always posting great food. So um, true. But uh, thank you so much, John. For I don't yeah, I want to be mindful of your time, but thank you so much for talking today. I really appreciate it. And I think. Mm -hmm, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I enjoyed it, and hopefully, uh, I hope it helps somebody. And you know, I, I just, I don't. Life is so different. I told, I talked about it yesterday. I've had, I've gained more in life the last two years than I'd gained in an entire lifetime before. So yeah. I wouldn't do anything to change my life now. So. Yeah, that's that's so huge to hear. It's, it really is night and day. And I think one of the biggest things to me was that you really don't realize how much alcohol negatively impacted everything until you remove it completely. And then when it's gone, I mean, you know, your life doesn't become perfect. It's not a magic wand after all. Yeah. There are still yeah. things, you know, and in some cases, removing alcohol uncovers many other problems that you've been numbing and shoving yeah. under the, the mat forever. But, um, yeah, life, life, life still happens. And, you know, I, I not afraid to not ashamed to admit, I, I had a, an argument with my wife the other night and we got it into a fight about some things and, and, 
you know, she said <laughs> she was trying to apologize. And she said, oh, well, I'm sorry I upset you. I said, well, you didn't upset me. And she said, well, I'm sorry I made you mad. I said, you didn't make me mad. And she was trying to figure out what my emotion was or what the emotion she triggered in me was. I don't know. I'm still yeah. learning so many emotions and so many feelings to this day that there are a lot of times where I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure what this is. Um, <laughs> it's like being a two-year-old. But, uh, yeah, it, it's always learning. I think, um, you know, shit, I can look out to it where my sister's got almost 30 years and she still will tell you there are times and there are things that she's still learning to this day about herself and it's being able to have a clear mind and clear conscious and, and to be able to really look back at what you do, do today that made a difference in somebody else's life and what did you do that you could have done better and I think you know you were asking about the people that are just starting out um, it's starting each day is looking at what can I do today to make my life better than it was yesterday. And if you drank the day before, then try not to, if you drank two drinks the day before, then if you drink one drink today, it's better than you were yesterday and, and just stick with it and don't stop. So, yeah, that self growth is tremendous. It yeah. really is. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate Bye. you talking today and and we'll wrap up for now, but um but thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot.